The reading today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's split into two parts. I'm starting to read at um, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, about giving to the needy and prayer, and then moving on to verses 16 to 18, which is about fasting. If you want to look at that in the Bible, it's on page 970. So that's Matthew 6, starting to read at verse 1. Giving to the needy. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees all what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, moving on to fasting at verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will be obvious, not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Please do have a seat. I, uh, I remember my friend Ramsey, uh, who some of you will, uh, will remember as well, he's preached here before, uh, once preaching on the passage uh, that we have before us today, and he told the story of two men, uh, and I'm going to share it with you now uh, by way of uh, introduction. So two men. Man number one uh, prided himself on being a great and loving husband. And then one day his wife got upset when he bought her a bunch of flowers. So he inquired why, and her response was quite revealing. She pointed out that for years he had bought her flowers, but only when they were about to have guests. Implication? He did what he did in order to be seen by others and then admired for being such a wonderful husband. Man number two, Uh, he would post on Facebook a lovely photo and message to his wife once a year on their anniversary. Only problem was, his wife wasn't on Facebook, and he didn't show it to her. She just heard about it from others, who told her how lucky she was to have such a wonderful and loving husband. Over the years, you can imagine, she got less and less impressed. Why? Again, implication. He did what he did in order to be seen by others. 
Both men uh, claimed to love their wives. Both men did a good thing. But they were obviously showing off. And when all was revealed, the motives of their hearts were exposed. Well, in this next section of Jesus' hillside sermon, Matthew records him confronting his listeners with three stories that make a similar point. Three examples of people doing good things, but with the wrong motives. Three examples of righteous acts, giving, praying, fasting, that can be twisted into being all about us, when really we should only be concerned about living for an audience of one. So let's pray and ask God for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, please would you show us the importance um, of living before and being motivated by you, the only audience of one that we need. Amen. Well, before uh, we turn back in our Bibles to Matthew 6, uh, I actually want to take us back into the Old Testament first uh, this morning, and I want us to look at some of the words of the prophet Micah. So if you want to grab a blue Bible, they'll be in the chairs uh, dotted around you. Uh, And if you turn to Micah chapter 6, so you're looking for page 934, uh, that should get you to the, the bit that we need to look at. Micah chapter 6. Uh, And uh, just by way of uh, of background, um, God had used Micah. He'd used Micah, like he did most um, Old Testament prophets actually, to to stir things up a bit. That's what a lot of the the prophets were known for doing, to mix things up. And Micah's just given a scathing rebuke to the leaders, uh, where in effect he says, look, because of you useless leaders, because you're so rubbish... Uh, Zion's going to become like a ploughed up field, Jerusalem's going to become like a heap of rubble, and the temple is going to be overgrown with thorns. It's not um, a good picture that he, that he paints here. But that, must, uh, that sort of scathing rebuke, if you like, must have raised an important question. What then, if, if that's the case, what are we supposed to do? What were they supposed to do? What does God require of them? What does God require of us? And take a look at verse 6 of Micah 6. Now, um, hopefully you're looking in the Bibles. I'm going to put it on there uh, in in Cantonese as well so you can uh, follow through. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. In other words, what do I have to do? What what do I need to do to make make me worthy enough to to be in God's presence and, and, and to placate him? How about some burnt offerings? What about some calves, which were worth much more? Um, Not enough? Okay, well, ramp it up a little bit. Thousands of rams? No, okay. You know, 10,000 rivers of oil? No, what about my firstborn? 
What about my son or my daughter? No, 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 no. None of that. None of that. Instead, all such misplaced activity, instead of all of, all of that, Micah goes on to pro- provide us with one of the most profound um, a- a- definitions of simple faith ever. Look, look, take a look at verse 8. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, it has always been the case that the Lord is way more interested in the state of our hearts and our attitude in walking humbly before him, an audience of one, than he is ever interested in external displays and public performances that are designed to make us look good. And what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Hill is entirely consistent with the prophets. Remember? He's not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's come to fulfill, to fulfill them. And Micah's prophetic words about walking humbly before God need to be ringing in our ears, if you like, as a foundation, as we encounter all that Jesus is saying to us uh, today. So let's go back then to that passage, Matthew chapter 6, it's page 970. Matthew 6, 970. Uh, We left it, if you remember, last week uh, uh, with Jesus demanding nothing less uh, than total perfection from his followers. At the end of chapter 5, verse 48, this is page 970. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, of course, Jesus knows that that is an impossible task. But what he has been at pains to point out over the preceding verses, where we've been looking at in chapter 5, is that our love and our obedience shouldn't just be about fulfilling the letter of the law, as it were. We must let it perfectly fill every fibre of our being. So that it's not just about what we do, but it is about what we think, what we feel, and what we say as well, everything. But Jesus also knows that we human sinners have an alarming gift to deceive ourselves. We've got an alarming gift for self-deception and an intuitive longing, if you like, for self-promotion. He knows that's the case. We want uh, people to to know, don't we? We we want people to to, to know just how perfect our thinking has been or our actions have been or our feeling has been. But our, our actions or our doing is pretty much at the top of that list. And so Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 1, take care. He says, take care. 
Let's have a look, verse, uh, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that last phrase is, is really significant. We'll come back to it uh, towards the end. But for now, I, I just want us to hear Jesus' warning to take care. What does he want us to be careful of? Well, that our acts of righteousness, our, our good deeds, are done with the right motives. Not to big us up, but to live faithfully before the only audience of one that counts. Most of us, whether we uh, are aware of it or not, do things, don't we, with the eye of with one eye on the approval of someone or, or, or some people, maybe more than one person else. So the question isn't really whether we have an audience. The question is which is the one that motivates us. And Jesus' focus here, just like the Old Testament prophet Micah's, is on our walk before God. He's saying, look, keep focused on your vertical relationship with God. Be motivated primarily by that relationship. And don't do things just to be concerned, if you like, in the horizontal, in our relationships with each other. Don't just do things primarily where you're concerned with those relationships. To be seen by others. But, if you've been paying attention, you might be right to raise a bit of a question or a concern at what Jesus is saying here because it sounds quite contradictory doesn't it have you picked that up cast your mind back a few weeks can anyone think what the the problem might be here if you need a clue look back to verse 16 of chapter 5 verse 16 of chapter 5 what does that say this is the audience participation time. Feel free to shout it out. What does Jesus basically say there? In, in, let, let your light shine before men. Let your light, let your good deeds, he says, shine, be seen before men. And we're going to go, well, which is it, Jesus? <laughs> which, which, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to be seen and noticed? Or, or do you not? And Jesus would say, the answer to that depends on the problem. Depends on the problem. Because if you are more inclined to fear and you're afraid, then Jesus says, look, be brave. Be brave. We're going to sing that later. Let them see. Because in your weakness, God's going to get the glory. But if your problem is that you're proud and that you're self-serving, then Jesus is saying, don't do anything to draw attention to yourself. Because any reward, any reward associated with that is going to be seriously limited. Do you see the difference? It's a bit like saying, get that God-given light blazing. You know, the light that God gives you, blaze that so that as many people as possible can see it, but keep that personal light, keep that personal light hidden well underneath the bowl. No self-promotion. 
And then he gives three examples of where this kind of pride can play out uh, in our lives. So we're thinking about giving, we're thinking about praying, and we're thinking about fasting. So firstly then, take care when you give. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy... In fact, notice that. Notice first of all that. When. Do you see the assumption there? It's not if. If you give to the needy. No, he says when you give. The assumption is that true followers of Jesus give. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, And on the streets to be honoured by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, In each of these three examples that we're going to walk through, Jesus is going to repeat the same pattern. First, he says what we shouldn't do. Uh, Then he applies a a, a good dollop of irony um, in it. And then he describes what we should do and gives us the reason why. That's the pattern he does for all of these three areas. And so when we're thinking about giving, for G- if, we, if, we put our, if we put ourselves in the place of Jesus' first listeners, when it, came to, when it comes to giving, they, they would have sort of thought of helping the poor as being synonymous with righteousness. That was you know, a, a great good deed to do. It was supposed to be, of course, a reflection of God's own righteousness, expressed in his mercy. But according to Jesus, for some, it had become just an act. It just become like performance. What should have been a really important expression of faithfulness has been turned into a, a fake show, all done to be admired by others. And that's what he means by hypocrite in this verse. It comes up time and time again. In fact, the classical Greek word here, translated hypocrite, means actor means to pretend to be something that you are not. He's saying, don't act, don't pretend. What then should we do when we give? Well, Jesus says, when you give, give discreetly. This is verse 3. He says, do not let your, um, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. In other words... Give without drawing any attention to yourselves whatsoever. Jesus is helping us to grasp something really important about giving here. And it's this. Giving in and of itself as a neutral act doesn't please God. It doesn't matter whether you give five pounds or five million pounds, God doesn't need it. What matters is your heart and your attitude in that giving. So Jesus would far rather, for example, you give back to him 50p with a a joyful, generous spirit in a way that no one but you and, and he knows about. Then he would have, have you give 
pounds in a way that, you know, just somehow some people get to accidentally hear about. That's what he's saying. Now, we have to face the reality, don't we, that those of us who give to the needy through the church use modern technology and we want to make the most of the government's tax relief and things like that. And um, you know, We can't get away from the fact that it is not exclusively our giving between us and God. Our accounts need to be checked. They need to be audited. That's a good, it's a responsible, it's a godly thing to do. The accounting needs to have a trail in order that we get tax relief on gifts. So you need to know that that is done by the minimum number of people possible. And that none of the staff, none of the leaders, the senior leaders here at St. John's, know anything about specifics about what you do or do not give. But please remember here, It's the attitude of the heart that is important. It's not some strict legalistic application of not literally letting my left hand know what my right hand um, is doing. Why? Because that would be carnage, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's why we use that phrase when when we talk about things in a derogatory, you know, while the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. We don't think about it in a positive way, do we? So there is a balance to be achieved here. But here's our modern challenge. If I allow my giving to be influenced by what I hope the treasurer or the assistant treasurer will think when they see my gift hit the bank account, then I am not taking care to heed Jesus' words here. Or if I am all too eager to tell you about the homeless man that I bought a sandwich for, when I was in town the other day. Or the mate that I helped out until payday came around. Or whatever it may be, if that comes out just that little bit too easily, then I am not living, Jesus wants. Take care. You're not living like one of the king's citizens. So Jesus says, when you give, take care. Give discreetly. And without any thought to how impressive you can make it look to other people. Next, Jesus turns our attention to a second act of righteousness that can get corrupted. He says, take care when you pray. So let's take another look at verse 5. Reading from verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. There's that word again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, the more astute of you will have noticed that in our reading earlier, we skipped what comes next. (laughs) Don't worry, we're not going to leave it out entirely. We will come back to the detail of the Lord's Prayer in a future week. But this week, we wanted to tackle these three examples tightly together so that we can trace their similarities and and see more easily the, the sort of overall argument that Jesus is making. And once again, he says, 
Don't be a hypocrite. Don't act when it comes to praying. Instead, when you pray, pray from your heart and not to impress. Now, it's really important that we're clear, I think, on what Jesus is and isn't saying here. Because again, we might have some questions and we might see a contradiction. Is Jesus saying never pray out loud in public? No, he's not saying that. He's saying that the true measure of your prayer life will always be found more in how you pray in private when it's just you and God. There's no one else. And less when you're praying publicly in front of others. And public prayer has a vital place in the life of a church. And there are plenty of examples in the New Testament of that. So public prayer, praying out loud in front of other people, can't be wrong. But when we pray in front of others, like we do leading prayers in church here, or like we do when we pray in our small groups, um, or uh, praying at a church meeting, or with friends, Jesus is warning us not to pray to impress others. Not to worry about what they will think of our praying. Just pray to God. The only audience of one that matters. Not to anyone else. And then, when we pray on our own, in our rooms, with the door closed as it were, that is when you can be most sure that your praying is genuine. Because when you're praying on your own, there's no one else to consider. It's just you and God. And that is a wonderful and beautiful gift that we have to be able to talk directly with him. The Christian pastor and theologian Don Carson is really helpful on this. He says this. We will only comprehend Jesus' point better if we each ask ourselves these questions. One, do I pray more frequently and more fervently when alone with God than I do in public? Two, do I love the secret place of prayer. And three, is my public praying simply the overflow of my private praying? If the the answers are not enthusiastic affirmatives, we fail the test and we fall under Jesus' condemnation because we are hypocrites. I don't know how you feel (laughs) hearing that or reading that. I have found that extremely challenging, reflecting on that this week. Extremely. When we pray, pray from the heart and not to impress. 
Then lastly, take care when you fast. Take care when you fast. This is verse 16, so this is jumping ahead, uh, leaving the Lord's Prayer for another week. Verse 16, when you fast, again notice the when, not if. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So that it won't be obvious to men that you are fasting. But only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So can I ask the question, when was the last time that you fasted? Interesting question, during Lent, I know, (laughs) during the season. But I suspect Lent is the closest most of us come to any sort of fast, isn't it? Withholding of chocolate being an obvious (laughs) example. Now there's loads we could say on fasting. I wonder if it's a topic actually that we'll get to in our new Sunday Evening Rooted series, uh, those sessions one day. Um, It's precisely that sort of thing that we could uh, think about there. But briefly, let me say a couple of really important things about it now, especially if you've not thought about it much before. Firstly, we need to think about what fasting is. What is fasting? Well, fasting is deliberately going without something, usually and and most significantly food, but it's going without that in order to focus more on God. It is not just eating less or cutting out certain foods. That's dieting. It's not fasting. Fasting is going without food or something else in order to focus more on God. But the point of it isn't just to give us more time then to read and to pray. The point of it is to feel the hunger. To feel it. Or to feel the absence of something. And to allow that hunger or that absence of something to confront us with our own mortality. Our total need of God in everything. It's a practical, it's a physical thing, it's an emotional reminder, if you like, of our weakness, of our vulnerability, (laughs) of our mortality, our our, our place in life even, we could say. Couldn't we? Created, creator. In charge, not in charge. It's a reminder of just how completely and utterly dependent we are on God for everything. I mean, yes, we can fast in other ways than food. We can give up chocolate. We can give up social media. We can stop watching things on television, whatever it might be. But their worth can only be, the worth of those activities can only be assessed in how much they make us aware of our total dependence, our total need upon God. Fasting needs to draw us deeper in repentance, deeper into faith, deeper into praise, deeper into worship of the one who alone can restore our relationship. 
Now, the Old Testament Jews, they were only commanded to fast once a year, although they also fasted during times of repentance or crisis or when a key decision needed to be made. You know, that's not a bad model to follow. But by the time Jesus was preaching on the hill, fasting had developed into a much more regular habit. And once again, it had turned into this opportunity to show off and to impress the wrong audience. That's why Jesus says, take care when you fast and keep it secret. Secret between you and your father. That's why back then a a lack of oil and facial washing was bad because it made it obvious what you were doing. It was bad. That's why now letting people know what you've been giving up for Lent on Facebook or in conversation could be equally as unhelpful. It's between you and God. What's going on? So in all these things then we need to take care. We need to take care when we give, when we pray and when we fast. Don't make it obvious, Jesus is saying, what you are doing. Because how we do these things will affect our reward. I'm sure you won't have failed to notice the contrast Jesus makes in all three of these examples. He says, those who give and pray and fast as hypocrites have, if you look at verse 2, 5 and 16, what have they done? They have received their reward in full. In other words, there's the huge dollop of irony that I was talking about earlier. Jesus is saying, you've got what you wanted. You wanted the praise of man and you've got it. But that's it. It's limited. Whoopee-doo. That's all you've got. But to all those who follow Jesus' instruction and give and pray and fast in private, he says these words in verses 4 and 6 and 19. He says, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, your heavenly father will see, he will hear, and he will respond. Now and into eternity. For those who give privately comes the delight, the reward of delight, if you like, now. The delight that your gift has helped meet a need. The delight that your giving has changed a life. The delight of investing in eternity rather than squandering it on on temporary selfish desires. That's the reward. For those who pray privately and from the heart comes the reward of, of a deep, personal, intimate connection with the loving Heavenly Father. Who created us. That's an amazing reward. And for all those who fast in secret. Comes the reward of a sustaining holy perspective. The humility of knowing that our very existence. Is dependent on God. And the joy of knowing that through the blood of his son. We have an everlasting future with him. 
As C.S. Lewis once helpfully noted, he said, Proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity to which they are given, but they are the activity itself in consummation. That's why the reward of passing a music exam is not the certificate itself, but the ability to enjoy the playing of the instrument. That's the reward, the activity in consummation. That's why the reward of your team winning the league or the cup isn't the title or the silverware, but it's the joy of playing or the joy of watching them play the game. So all those who give, who pray and fast as Jesus commands, will enjoy that activity both now, in part, and then on into eternity in full. Their reward won't be limited, but it will be everlasting. And so my final thought is a question. What about you? What kind of reward are you living for or working towards? A temporary limited one or an everlasting one? Will your reward be received now in full and be limited or will it be everlasting? Had the Old Testament prophet Micah been able to jump into a time machine and uh, jump forward and join Jesus on the hill, I think he would have been gratefully cheering him on as Jesus um, uttered these words. Because he would have heard the Son of God validating the very words that God the Father had given him all those years before. The consistency of God's message shines throughout history. May we all walk humbly with our God because he is the only audience of one that we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please would you help us in our temptations. When we are tempted to show off and make it all about us, please would you help us to hide. But Lord, when we're tempted to hide, please would you help us to live showing your light to the world. And Lord, may all that we think, may all that we say, may all that we do only serve to lead others and ourselves to praise you. And please, Lord, protect and keep us humble in everything. For your name's sake we pray. Amen.